0: Okay, so now that brings us up to pitfall number nine. What we were focused on with seven and eight were preferences and deal breakers. And you'll probably read that as personality traits. For example, um, someone who's not very good with money and someone who's a tight wad. That might be a deal breaker and that might not be a good combination. But let me change the narrative today. Because we need to talk about morality, goodness, character, not personality. We need to talk about the tendency to eliminate people because they're not good enough or they're not perfect. I don't know anyone who openly admits that. I'm looking for someone perfect but I know a whole lot of people who are. They may not admit it, but they're looking for someone perfect. Now that would only be fair if you were offering your spouse someone perfect, and you aren't. Let's be clear, is anyone in this room offering their spouse a perfect spouse? Therefore, isn't it hypocritical to expect your spouse to be perfect. In other words, we're more tolerant with my imperfections than someone else's. Pitfall number nine is not allowing people to change and repent. It's this idea that I expect my spouse to be perfect. And maybe perfect is a harsh word because I don't know that anyone legitimately expects their spouse to be perfect, but I expect my spouse to be better than a human probably is. How's that? Go ahead, Stephen. If you're looking for Jesus Christ, he's busy. Yeah. He's married too, so. For example, I would ask the girls. I think he said, who is married to. I don't know. Ooh. Ask him. Maybe he'll tell you. He hasn't told me. Let me ask the girls, for example. Let me make this very real. Would you marry someone who had a pornography problem? Because the reality is, There are very few who haven't. It's just the nature of having tremendous access in our day. So would you marry someone who had an addiction? Would you marry someone who didn't go on a mission? Today, I want to talk about pitfall number nine, not Allowing change, not allowing people to grow and change running at the first sight of any type of transgression or imperfection. Do you see how that's very much like this one? I'm not going to jump in because you've made some mistakes. Now pitfall number, how'd my numbering get off? Oh, we're going to do these together. That's what I'm going to do. We're going to do seven and eight. We separated nine. We're going to combine. That's why we're going to we're going to add this one to nine. Similar to not jumping out is the idea that change isn't occurring, and you need to know that change isn't occurring. When is change not occurring? And I need to walk away. But when should I grant someone a chance to change? That's what we're going to talk about today. Do you, have I explained, have I set it up well enough that you can see the pitfall that we fall into? Stephen? I have two brothers in law who didn't serve a mission and they rockstones. And you know what? My, my son tried to serve a mission, it was COVID. And he had some mental health issues that he was working through. And I thought he was doing great at overcoming them. But the church just said, wait, wait, wait. And finally he said, I'm moving on with my life. I can't wait for ever. And he's a tremendous young man. Didn't go on a mission. Started dating a girl who did go on a mission. And I was interesting. Is that going to be an issue for her? That he didn't go on a mission. It wasn't. And they're married. But let's talk about that very real concept that I expect my spouse to be more perfect than I am. I'm not offering my spouse a perfect person, but I expect them to be flawless and not have mistakes. I can't tell you how many people as I've watched them and I've gotten to know them. They won't admit it, but you're looking for someone perfect and you're never going to find them and it would be unfair if you did because you're not offering them someone who's perfect. It's hypocritical to say to my spouse, hey, I'm imperfect, love me in spite of it, and yet to hold them a standard to a higher standard. So let's talk about that and allow me to just go to basic gospel principles today. Um, I call myself a pattern hunter I believe we have a God who teaches in patterns. I have a favorite verse of scripture in 3 Nephi. When Jesus is talking about Isaiah, he says, many things that he taught have been and shall be. That's an odd phrase, have been and shall be. How can something have been and shall be? It's because God is a God of patterns. We know a whole lot of what shall be because of why. I can tell you a great deal about the second coming. Because of what has been, patterns of the past. And so I look for patterns. And one of the things that triggers a pattern is repetition. When I see Heavenly Father repeating something, it causes me to say, okay, why is he emphasizing this? And sometimes there's a story, there are stories he tells repeatedly that I don't think we, signi- we understand the significance of the story. Every one of you who have been endowed, every single time you go to an endowment session, you hear about cherubim and the flaming sword. How many of you have asked the question, why does he tell that story? Why is he telling me, why should I care about cherubim and the flaming sword? I am going to tell you that story has one of the most significant meanings of the temple endowment for me. So let me teach you why you should care about cherubim and a flaming sword. Let me show you what Satan was trying to do in the Garden of Eden. Does it strike you odd why Satan gets so much attention in the temple? How much attention does he get in the scriptures? Not much. When the credits roll at the end of life, when this whole life is over and the credits roll and Jesus's name goes up really big and the prophets, where does Satan's name appear in the credits? It won't. He was such a minor character. We are not here to conquer Satan. We're here to conquer the natural man inside us. So why does Satan get so much attention in the Garden of Eden? I would tell you it has to do with cherub and the flaming sword. Today let's talk about what was Satan trying to do in the Garden of Eden? What was he trying to accomplish? May I suggest he was trying to spoil the plan. Was tempting Eve spoiling the plan? Did he ruin the plan by tempting Eve? So there has to be a step B. Satan had to have had two parts to his plan. Satan had to have said, I'm going to do A, and then I'm going to do B. And he was never allowed to do B. So let's talk about what was B. What was Satan trying to accomplish in the Garden of Eden? Stephen? In real life, in the <laughs> current endowment? Yes. But not in reality. Not in, not, in the pre, not in the presentation, yes. But in the application, no. So let's talk about what was he trying to do. What was he trying to achieve in tempting Adam and Eve? Turn with me to Moses chapter 3, verse 9. And tell me about the two trees. Now, there were lots of trees in the garden. There were not only two trees. But there were two significant trees in the garden. So, Pearl of Great Price, Moses 3, verse 9. Tell me about the two trees mentioned here in verse 9. One tree was? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now what will that tree do to Adam and Eve? What will partaking of that tree do to Adam and Eve? It will turn their immortality, their terrestrial state, into a telestial mortal state. That tree turns on mortality. So when do you and I partake of that tree? Let's apply it to all of our lives. I am Adam, we are Adam and Eve. When do I partake of that tree? When do I turn on mortality? When do I, tell me, when do I partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Okay, I'm tempted, but when do I first, when do I turn on mortality? Birth. For me, partaking of that tree is birth, and I come to mortality. For Adam and Eve, They were already there, but they could turn on mortality. Now, there was another tree in Eden. What was the other tree? The tree of life. Now, for Adam and Eve, this tree normally meant nothing. They were immortal and partaking of that tree would not change them. This wasn't such a big deal for Adam and Eve, but this is a huge deal for me. When do I partake of the tree of life? Now think, when do I partake of the tree of life? Now I know there's another tree of life, Lehi's dream that I can partake of throughout my life, but when in the sense of Adam and Eve, do I partake of the tree of life? The resurrection? It's resurrection, not death, right? So what is the space between these trees for me? Birth and resurrection. These trees represent the edges of mortality. Entrance and exit. Now, let's talk about what was Satan's What was he trying to do? Stephen? It really starts in the womb. Correct. And we really don't know how fuzzy this is. But coming into mortality, I start mortality, right? Now go to chapter 4, verse 6. Satan put it in the heart of the serpent, for he had drawn away many after him, and he sought to beguile Eve. Why did he seek to beguile Eve? End of verse 6, tell me why he sought to beguile Eve. He sought to destroy the world. Did tempting Eve destroy the world? No. No. That was the plan. So how was he destroying the earth by making it go forward? Partaking of the fruit was the plan, right? Now notice what he says right before that, right? He tempted Eve because he knew not the mind of God. He knew that God would not allow him to do this step. So he tempted Eve as a preliminary step to what he really wanted to do. So tempting Eve. So let me say it this way. His plan was to get Adam and Eve to do what? Partake of which one? the tree of knowledge now they have transgressed do you see it the light just went on now turn with me to alma let's get the answer in the book of mormon alma chapter 12 and alma chapter 42 the thing i love about the endowment is god put some things in the scriptures and not in the endowment and he put other things in the endowment and not in the scriptures in order to fully understand this, now we skipped a story here that's in the temple only. And someday we'll talk about that story. To better understand this full thing, we've got to tell the story that's in the endowment and not in the scriptures. But being here, we're going to tell the story that's in the scriptures and not necessarily in the endowment. So Matthew cha- or Alma chapter 12 and Alma chapter 42. Find both of those and let's see what Satan was really trying to do. Alma chapter 12 is Zeezrom asking Alma and Amulek some questions. Now he's trying to trip him up. In chapter 11, Amulek just taught about the resurrection, that we're going to be resurrected and we're going to live forever. So Zeezrom says in verse 21, What does the scripture mean, saith, which saith that God placed cherubim and the flaming sword on the east end of the Garden of Eden, lest our first parents should enter and partake, and partake of the tree of life and live forever? In other words, he's trying to trip him up. Hey, wait a minute, Amulek just said we're going to live forever, but God put cherubim in the flaming sword so they wouldn't live forever. You see how he's trying to trip him up? But now that you've brought up the fall and cherubim, Alma says in verse 21, this is what I was about to explain. Now we see that Adam did fall by partaking of the forbidden fruit. That's step A. According to the word of God. And thus we see that by his fall all mankind became lost in a fallen people. Now, verse 23. What was Satan's plan? Someone read 23. And now behold, I say unto you that if it had been possible for Adam to have partaken of the fruit of the tree of life at that time, there would have been no death, and the word would have been void, making God a liar. For he said, If thou eat, Thou shalt die. So what was part B of Satan's plan? A, the tree of you got it. Rush them over and get them to partake of the tree of life. Now, what would that have done? Now, number one, in, according to verse 22 or 23, what would that have done? We took God out, right? We took God out of the picture and made him a liar. Now, what else would this do? And all of a sudden you begin to see why Heavenly Father tells this story over and over again. I wouldn't allow Satan to rob you of a chance to repent. repent. I wouldn't allow Satan to take away your chance to screw up and learn and grow I wouldn't let him take it away now let's finish this would this would have taken out God right there's no God he would have eliminated God and now let's turn to Alma 42 so from Alma 12 go to Alma 42 what else does it take away so Alma 42 is Alma to his son um, Corianton who has transgressed as a missionary Let's go to verse 5. Alma 42, 5. Someone read this one. For behold, if Adam had put forth his hand immediately and partaken of the tree of life, he would have lived forever according to the word of God, having no space for repentance. Yea, and also the word of God would have been void. And the great plan of salvation would have been frustrated. That's insane. The entire plan of salvation would have been frustrated because it would have removed what? space for repentance and the need for the children. he takes out the everything he just eliminates everything children. But, and children and everything and well even if Adam and Eve if Adam and Eve go over and partake of this and they have children what kind of children will they have immortal children who don't have a chance to repent Jesus can't atone because he can't be mortal he's ruined the entire plan of salvation and heavenly father did what I will allow this, but I will not allow this. I will not allow you to take away your chance to repent. I won't allow it. So let's talk about the space between these trees. What does Heavenly Father call it? Go back to verse 4. I want to emphasize a word here. God has granted. God has granted unto man to repent. I've granted you a chance to screw up and repent. I've granted that to you. I am giving you leeway to mess up. Now, I'm coming. Hold on. What does he call this? What does Alma call this? This is my probationary state. God would not allow Satan to take that away. I will not allow him to take away your probationary state. Go ahead. So does it mean that when I'm not allowing myself to repent. You got it. You see exactly where we're going. You, ex- you are literally letting Satan succeed. You see exactly the point I'm trying to make. You've got to the culmination. And what's the word? What's the word? Give me the G word. Grant. Grant. yourself and people a space to repent. So here's my theory, ready? This one was stopped. So I think he came up with another one. God wouldn't let him take all of our probationary state away. So now he tempts you to do what? Take it away yourself to not grant yourself and others, to expect yourself to be perfect and expect other people to be. So do you see why he tells that story about cherubim and the flaming sword over and over and over again? Why are you letting him succeed? I guarantee the biggest stress of every one of your lives, the biggest stress of your life has been that you're, you don't think you're good enough. You don't think you've done enough. You're not far enough. You're not where God expected you to be. You are not good enough. And you are doing exactly What God would not let Satan do. Do you see the disconnect here? Grant yourself a probationary state. I get to screw up. Even if it caused me pain, I get to screw up and I get to learn. When will I account for my life? When do I eat that tree? Resurrection. That's at least how many years away? At least a thousand. That's at least a thousand years away. Which Bryce Dunford will be judged? Which Bryce Dunford? Of all the Bryce Dunfords, the 16-year-old, oh my gosh, please don't judge him. (laughs) Oh my, I'm screwed if that one's judged, right? The 20-year-old, the 30-year-old, the 54-year-old, which Bryce Dunford will be judged? What's the answer? The one at the the, that's it. That's it. The one standing in front of God on that day. Not the one I am. The one I am. That's it. The Bryce Dunford that will be judged is the one that I am becoming and I will be on that day, not the one I am. Marry someone who is becoming but not necessarily is. Grant people a chance to repent even of major things. There is not a transgression you cannot repent of at this point in your life. So why not grant everyone else around you, including the person who's gonna partner with you for life, that same opportunity. Grant them a probationary state. Adam thought about the sins of the fathers coming upon the children's heads and we kind of inherit this probation from Adam on down and so I hope this is too off topic but I was wondering like is that probation let's clarify let's clarify the word probation because in our society we've corrupted the word probation When I say probation, you think of someone coming out of incarceration trying to prove they're good enough for society, and that's the exact opposite of what I'm trying to teach. I'm on probation. I have to prove that I'm good enough. That would paint images of Heavenly Father saying, "Uh, I don't think so. No, not yet. Not good enough. That's not what he intends with the word probation. Let me give you another probation that all of you will be on at one point in your life. Stephen? Stephen? That's right. Let me give you another probation. Um, let's Let's take a complicated, let's take nursing. Let's say Madison wants to be a nurse. And Madison's just barely coming out of school and she's fresh out of school and I need a nurse. Now who would be a better nurse, Madison, or the one who's been working for me for 30 years? Which one am I going to ask to assist me when it's critical? You think she's coming in? No. no. So why in the world would I hire her? Why in the world would I hire a brand new out-of-school nurse? Tell me. Because this one's going to retire. And I, need, I, I, don't, I don't expect her to be that one. I expect her to become that one, and so I know she's not perfect, and so what am I gonna do? I'm going to grant her a time period to grow, and if she makes a mistake, I'm going to be very, very tolerant, right? That's probation, newly hired probation. Some companies call it nesting, I worked for a company, and for 30 days I was nesting, which meant what? You can't be fired. We will not fire you, but the moment you're out of nesting and you do that, you're out of here. But while you're nesting, we're going to grant you probation. We know you're growing. We know you make mistakes. Do you see the idea of what life is supposed to be? Imagine I get a job at McDonald's, and they ask me to make ice cream cones. Can you picture my first ice cream cone? Can you imagine what my first ice cream cone looks like as I tried to make it? Any chance McDonald's is gonna give that to a customer? Not a chance, it's going in the garbage. Maybe yours, not mine. And your first ice cream cone? Yours was good. Great, mine would not, I guarantee mine would not. Every time I try to dispense frozen yogurt, I just think, no way I could work at McDonald's. But my wife worked at McDonald's. She, when she was in high school, she worked at McDonald's and she did the fair, she did the county fair. She would put four cones in her hand and make them all like this and they were picture perfect. But why would they, I mean, if, if they throw my first one away, would they fire me? Or am I on probation? Mistakes are expected. Mistakes in this life are expected. God's expectation of you is not that you are perfect, but that you grow. He granted that. He fought for that. He wouldn't let anyone take it away. Why do you take it away? Why do you take it away for yourself? Why has your greatest stress been that you're not good enough? Do you see why that story is repeated? And then why do we take it away from other people? Why are we so quick to condemn other people for a mistake they've made? Grant them. Can I show you a couple of scriptures of what Heavenly Father realistically expects? Let's read four. We're still in chapter 42. Let's read verse four again. And thus we see that there was a time granted unto man to repent. Yea, a probationary time, a time to repent. Why the repetition? Duh. Are you listening? A time to repent. Okay, jump back to chapter 12 where we were just a moment ago. Alma chapter 12, we didn't read the next verse. I want to make sure we get that next verse. So verse 23, if Adam had partaken, it would have ruined everything. Now 24, and we see that death comes upon mankind, yea, the death which has been spoken of by Amulek, which is the temporal of the death. Nevertheless, there is a space granted unto man in which he might repent. Do you have to have all your repenting done when you die? (laughs) When do you partake of the tree? Not death, when? Long after death. You have plenty of time even after you die. There was a space granted unto man that he might repent. Okay, let me show you a couple others. Go back to Jacob chapter 5, which is really turning to the Old Testament. Jacob is going to quote one of the great Old Testament prophets that's been eliminated from the Old Testament. His name was Zenos. He gave an incredible... Yeah. He was an Old Testament prophet that was incredible, but they edited him out in the apostasy. And we have him impl- put... Oh, uh, we have no idea. We have no idea where he fits. Obviously before the Babylonian captivity because he was on the gold plates. No idea. No idea who and when and where he was. All we know is that this was an incredible allegory. Now, what's the gist of the allegory? A tree that is growing both good and bad fruit. Sound familiar? Can anyone in this room be compared to a tree that's growing both good and bad fruit? And all that the Lord is trying to do to eliminate the bad fruit? Everything that the Lord does, because he doesn't want to lose the tree. Numerous times he says, it grieveth me that I might lose this tree. So what is Heavenly Father's expectation? Let's read 65 and 66. One of the most beautiful verses and concepts of what heavenly, what kind of God Heavenly Father is. Adam, do you mind? 65 and 66, big loud voice. And as they begin to grow, you shall clear away the branches which bring forth bitter fruit, according to the strength of the good and the size thereof. And you shall not clear away the bad thereof all at once. Whoa, 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 whoa. Would you read that again? And you shall not That is his expectation. I don't expect your tree to be completely free of bad. I expect you to eliminate the bad as the good grows. That's his expectation. As the good grows, you eliminate the bad. Now, let me tip my hand to next week, how can you tell when you need to get out? Good is growing and bad's not being removed. That's a indication that maybe I need to get out, but I don't expect all the bad to be gone, but I do expect as the good grows, that the bad goes away. One more, verse 66, Adam. for shall clear away the bad according as the good shall grow. That's the phrase, according as the good shall grow. There should be less bad on my tree today than there was a year ago. Would you agree? But do you expect my tree to be bad free? If you do, then I'm going to be a disappointment because that is not what Heavenly Father expects do you see the change we need to make and do you see how it relates to dating let me do another one turn to the doctrine covenant it's one of my absolute favorites turn to section 117 oliver granger oh how i can't wait to meet oliver granger because of this verse oliver granger was given an impossible task that he would not be able to succeed at we'll save the details for another day but verse 12 Section 117, verse 12. Again, I say unto you, I remember my servant Oliver Granger. Behold, verily I say unto him that his name shall be had in sacred remembrance from generation to generation. Forever and ever, saith the Lord. Therefore, let him contend earnestly for the first That's That was the impossible task. But go to the middle of that verse 13. When he falls. Not if, Right? Apply that to your spouse when they fall. Apply it to yourself when you fall. He shall rise again. For his sacrifice shall be more sacred unto me than his increase. Now tell me which one of those you and I measure. You and I measure increase you are probably thinking about where you should be, not where you are. You are measuring increase. What does Heavenly Father measure? The number of times you get up. You need to measure the number of times they get up and the number of times you get up. We need to change We need to make some dramatic changes in our lives and in this church. And we need to follow a pattern of our heavenly father and put cherubim and flaming sword in front of the tree and grant a probationary state. Grant it to yourself. Stop expecting yourself to be what you're not. And rejoice in the growth of the good that has allowed you to tear off a little bit of bad here and there. And commit to growing the good and removing the bad so that long from now, when I get here, I will have removed the bad. Dan, do you see how that applies to dating? I will leave you to ponder how this applies to the people you date. Grant them a probationary state. Do not expect them to do what you aren't doing. Grant them, grant yourself, grant them a probationary state. Put cherubim in the flaming sword in front of the tree of life, symbolically, so that no one takes away yours or theirs probationary state. Now, that being said, we all know that there are people who are not growing, and that's probably gonna be a deal breaker. So what's the balance between granting and realistically understanding that change isn't happening and that this deal breaker is going to break us. So give them a chance. The reality is, can I say to all the girls in the room, the reality is his greatest motivation to overcome pornography is you, is you you will motivate him to be better. Of that I testify. Grant that. And they will grant that of you. Grant a probationary state. But we be wise enough to recognize patterns that indicate I need to get out. And that's what we'll do next week. We will talk about how do you recognize patterns that indicate that change is not going to occur and that this is probably going to break us. I bear you my testimony. I can't tell you how grateful I am for a God who has granted me a probationary state. And I will tell you the biggest struggle of my life has been granting me my own and granting other people their own. May we be more like our Father, who is kinder and more forgiving than any of you could possibly imagine. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.